also have a guest speaker, as you, most of you know. Um, Brother Herb Taylor has been here a few times. I, I was trying to think of when we first met, and all I know is that he didn't have gray hair at the time. <laughs> Probably I didn't either. But anyway, um, so he is presently the head of um, Hispanic Ministries with Baptist Church Planters. He was here in Ankeny for a conference this week, so we've invited him to come and minister the word both this morning and tonight. So Brother Herb, would you come, please? Well, I was gonna make a smart aleck comment, but I will be the more mature man this morning. <laughs> One of the nice things about having pew Bibles is so that when you don't have one as a guest speaker, you can get one. And it's not that I don't have one, but I had only one in Spanish, and so it would have been a little harder for me to read it and translate it in my head. And so we will use your pew Bible to be able to be biblical this morning and have a Bible. And uh, so I asked Pastor what time to be done, and he kind of gave an ishy number, and so that means a lot or means nothing in Spanish ministries. Uh, one of the things that we learn about Spanish ministries is that Hispanics in general have no concept of time, so you just do whatever you do until you're done and you're ready for the next thing to happen. And so we may just have to do that this morning to see what happens and how, how things work. And uh, one of those illustrations perhaps is this, is this past week we were in Cal or a week ago we were in California because one of my team members, Hispanic pastor missionaries, his wife had passed away from cancer. And she was 48 years old and had had three battles, different battles with cancer, two times with breast cancer and the last time with throat cancer. And on July 3rd, she had passed away. And then on the 12th was the uh, funeral memorial service on that evening. And by way of illustration, that went an hour and a half long. And there was lots of music. Uh, compared to what we would call a typical funeral that maybe we would go to, an Anglo funeral, uh, there is no bringing in the family and seating them, etc., and then waiting till when it's over, waiting for the family to leave before anybody goes. Everybody just came in and talked and had a great time and visited, and it was time, even though there was a lot of hugging and tears, there was a great time of rejoicing uh, through that. And those are some things that we can learn. And then uh, the actual burial was a day later, two days later, actually on Saturday, and that was at 11 o'clock, and uh, that was around the graveside. And that were, there were a little over 100 people around the graveside. That's the first time I've seen that many people around the grave. And that uh, little memorial service, internment service, went an hour and a half also, standing there, and then... We sang and we sang and we sang and people gave testimonies. It was just, it was a fascinating time. 
So um, that's kind of what happens in some Hispanic cultures. But I'll not do that this morning. I will try to do the ishy time, squishy time that Pastor gave me here today. Now the hymns that we sang this morning are very apropos, and I'm very thankful for them. Because some of them, as Pastor and I talked a little bit over the last day or so, are some of my favorite hymns from many years ago. In fact, he was saying, I think, was it the first time you heard God of the Ages? Was when, it was probably way back in Baldwinsville then, when I sang it there as a special number one time. Those are great hymns, great hymns. Uh, how sweet and awesome is our God. Is just a tremendous hymn, God of the Ages. All of these are some of my favorites. Uh, um, a wandering sheep I was, and you were, if you know Christ today as your Lord and Savior. So with that, I want us to go to this passage of Scripture this morning, Ephesians in chapter number 1. Ephesians in chapter number 1. So please turn there. I used to say, please turn there if you would, but even if you don't want to, please turn there so that you can see the passage of Scripture. And we want to consider here some of these things that might be an encouragement to us concerning even some of these very thoughts that we sang this morning. In Ephesians in chapter number 1, and I will read beginning with verse number 3 and down to verse number 14, and then we'll pause for a word of prayer. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestinated us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which... He made us accepted in the Beloved, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. In him you also trusted, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who in his guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. Well, let's look to the Lord in prayer for a moment, please. Thank you, Father. An opportunity for us to have this morning to open up your word, the Holy Scriptures. May your Holy Spirit intervene on our behalf in our frailties and our weaknesses to help us to 
focus our eyes and our minds and our hearts on your word, that your word might infiltrate our hearts and change us and rearrange us in whatever fashion you desire. We are incapable and we do not have the ability to explain some of the great mysteries of the triune God of heaven. But we have your word and we trust your word and we trust you, Father, and we trust your son who has given, been given to us to save us from our sins and we trust your Holy Spirit. We've not seen you face to face, Father, nor your son, nor the spirit, but we walk in faith and not by sight. We long for the day that we will be in your presence, but until then, help us to live in your presence here on this earth by your spirit, and we'll thank you in Christ's name, who is our only hope. Amen. Now, this uh, passage of scripture is an interesting passage of scripture, and we can by no means consider every aspect of this text of scripture this morning and give it all the due justice that is needed to do that, to adequately examine uh, all of these verses this morning that we've read. But this text is important, I think, first of all, because we see something that is noticed three times throughout this passage of Scripture. You will find it in verse uh, number 6, verse number 12, and then verse 14, when he says in verse 6, to the praise of the glory of his grace. It could also be translated to the praise of his glorious grace. In verse number 12, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. And verse 14, the very end of it says, to the praise of his glory. Now, that's an interesting theme that goes through there because it tells us our what should be our motivation and tells us what our life should be, that in everything we should be living according and in to the praise of the glory of his grace or to the glorious grace that he has bestowed upon us. It's a tremendous emphasis because the emphasis of our salvation that is seen in this passage of scripture is, is that which has been accomplished in eternity past, the Father's work, and in the present work, uh, we see in verses 6 through 11 as well, and in the future aspect, that of verses 12 through 14. All is wrapped up in this phrase that it is all to the praise of the glory of his grace. It has also become special to me because I have sought to try to make that the emphasis of my ministry. I have sought to say, let everything be done for the praise of the glory of his grace, that our teaching and our preaching and our reading and ex explanation of the word of God should all be to the glory of his grace. Now, as we consider some things here, and we'll just look at a couple of verses in the beginning of it, let me kind of give you the inside of the broader text of the whole book of Ephesians, the letter of Ephesians, better said, 
and that is that in chapter 1 through the end of chapter 3, Paul is giving praise for the great redemptive work of God, of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. All three distinct persons of the Trinity are God. Not our gods, but our God. There is one God, and he has demonstrated to us throughout the word of God in these three distinct persons, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And you say, well, I don't understand that. Well, neither do I in its fullness. And I think it's impossible for us to do that. And perhaps, I'm not going to say definitively, but perhaps we will understand that in its fullness when we go to heaven and spend eternity with God. Or perhaps it'll still be shaded to some degree, I don't know. But we will know it more fully and more completely than we do today. And then in chapters 4 through chapter 6, the end of chapter 6, you have the conduct of the church and identifying again that it should be done, everything that the church does and everything that the people of God are should be to the praise of the glorious grace of the triune God. Now let's come back to verse number 3. And we'll just look basically at some things from verses 3 to verse 6 and then wrap it up a little bit. So again, to be reminded of that, he says, Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him, in love, having predestinated us to adoption as sons of Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace by which we have been made accepted in the beloved. Now, when you consider in verse number three, it begins this way, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, you have the word blessed there, and then you'll find the same word uh, a little differently um, in, in uh, the second part, who has blessed us. So you have blessing God who blesses us. Now, there's a little difference in the idea. One is, the first part is, blessed be God. This is a doxology. It's a hymn of praise to and for God similar to the doxology that perhaps you've sung at times, um, uh, praise God to whom all blessings flow, that doxology. And the scriptures are filled in many places with these types of doxologies. And the apostle Paul, as he gives his introduction, and then he begins this doctrinal treatise, he says, I want to bless God for who he is. Sometimes we forget to do that. Sometimes we need to come back and stop at a simple little phrase, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's important for us to do that. We would call that adoration perhaps. And that in our adoration, we need to adore God for who he is. And we're not necessarily saying here for what he has done, but for who he is. And we could go and we could ask that question or some questions about that and say, 
All right, let's say, who is God? Who is God? God is eternal. God is omniscient. God is omnipresent. Um, God is holy. God is just. God is love. All of these various things that we can work out. God is eternal. God is immense. Passages of scripture in the Old Testament help us to see that. That he is incomprehensible to us of who he is. Sometimes our prayer lives don't spend much time with adoration. Wanda and I try to walk most every day. Most every day she does a better job than I do. But uh, especially when I'm home, we try to walk. And we walk at separate times. When we're traveling and we walk, most of the times we walk, we walk together. But at home we walk separate times, kind of different directions at times. And I try to use that time as a time of prayer. But I've been working on things to say, I want to use this time for adoration, not for requesting. But our minds tend to go directly to requesting. Lord, help me. Lord, work in. Lord, do this. Rather than to adore who he is. And so as we walk in the morning, as I would walk, and maybe you do, to spend some time doing exactly that. Lord, I want to praise you for who you are. I want to thank you that you are gracious. I want to praise you that you have done this. I want to praise you because you have made the heavens and the earth without consultation of any being. You are the great and the glorious and the holy God of the universe. Sometimes it's a matter of just quoting scripture to him to adore him. Lord, as your word says in, in, in Ephesians chapter 1, blessed be the God and the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. You are the God of all. You are the God who deserves to be praised and gloriously adored. So those are important things for us. And so that's the attitude of Paul here when he begins this text. Blessed be the God. Blessed be God. Blessed be the God of the universe who is the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior and our Redeemer. We should do the same thing when we maybe talk about thanksgivings. Lord, I want to thank you for... But sometimes our thanksgiving turns into request. Lord, I want to thank you for all of your many blessings. And with that in mind, please bring these blessings to my life. Or, Lord, I thank you for being merciful. And today I have a need of mercy. And that's okay to do. But maybe we need to just focus on the thanksgiving aspect of who God is. A few weeks ago, Wanda and I were listening to... Uh, a time of, of preaching from some folks in the Greenville, South Carolina area. And we, we realized that as he was challenging about prayer even on that time, he said, I want you to consider spending a half hour just thanking God. Just thanking God or just adoring God without turning it into requests. It was a little harder the first time I did that than what I was anticipating. So Paul says here, blessed be 
you, O God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That should be a natural thing in our life, shouldn't it? should be natural. If we are the children of God, it should be a natural thing for us to bless and adore the God of heaven. Well, what kind of um, blessings would that be? He, is the, he said, blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then it shows up on the other side of that, who has God, has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. Now, if you're here today and you're a child of God, you can obviously begin to list off all kinds of blessings that God has given to you. And typically, we might begin by saying, well, I am blessed by God because he has saved me, and I am blessed by God because he's given me a family, and I'm blessed by God because of my children. I'm blessed of God because he has given me a home to live in, and he has blessed me with a good job, etc., etc., but that's typical in our minds where we're not thinking of the spiritual blessings. We're thinking most of the time of physical blessings, temporal blessings. But here he says in verse number three, he says, Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every, what? Talk to me. Spiritual blessings. Spiritual blessings. Now, there are a lot of spiritual blessings that are mentioned in this passage of Scripture. Let's just highlight them here. In verse number 4, he says, just as he chose. He chose us. That's a spiritual blessing. He chose us. And there is the spiritual blessing of predestination in verse 5. There is the spiritual blessing of adoption in verse 5. There is the spiritual blessing of redemption in verse number 7, if we had gone down through. There's the spiritual blessing of forgiveness of our sins in verse number 7. There's the spiritual blessing of that being done in all of the riches of his grace in verse 7. The spiritual blessing, if you go on down uh, in uh, verse uh, number uh, 11, that we have obtained an inheritance the spiritual blessing of being predestinated, the spiritual blessing of trusting in Christ, the spiritual blessing of praise and glory to him, the spiritual blessing of being sealed by the Holy Spirit, the spiritual blessing of the promise of the Holy Spirit to come and to guarantee in our lives our inheritance, the spiritual blessing of verse 14 of redemption, that we have been redeemed from our sin. All of these things. Now, can you imagine if you would take the time and spend a half hour, which may not be enough, to start going down through these spiritual blessings and thinking of Scripture and saying, Lord, I should be able to bless your name today and to adore you because you chose me in Christ before the foundation of the world. I am blessed this morning, Father, because you have blessed me with grace and with mercy. I am blessed today, Father, because you have redeemed me from my sins. You have forgiven me. You have adopted me. I am your child. I am blessed this morning, Father, because not only am I your child, 
but you have sealed me. You have given the Holy Spirit to me so that the Holy Spirit is that promise, guarantee that I am yours. And so therefore, I am secure in you, Father, this morning. What spiritual blessings all of those are. All of these spiritual blessings, not just the temporal ones, not to negate the temporal ones, but the spiritual blessings, how great they are for us. See, it's qualified. The blessings are great, but they're qualified in this text by spiritual blessings. And a part of that is perhaps because of what Paul says to the Philippian believers in Philippians chapter 3, that we, our citizenship is now in heaven and not on this earth. So we have all these spiritual blessings. So the question is, is what benefit should these have in our lives? Why and how are we blessed? Well, we have these spiritual blessings in verse 3. Blessed be the God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. All of our spiritual blessings come from God, but they are what? In Christ and through Christ. Because God doesn't bless us apart from Christ. Our life is in Christ. Our redemption is in and through Christ. And so God blesses us in Christ in the heavenly places. And so that question bears these things to us. Why and how do we have these spiritual blessings? Well, they're in Christ, and verse 4 continues that thought when he says that heavenly places in Christ just as. So verse 4 doesn't end with a period. It just continues on. That's sometimes a problem with our modern English is that we, we don't understand or see the continuation, and the continuation is this, that he has blessed us with every spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Now, notice how that flows. God has blessed us with spiritual blessings in Christ just as he, God, has chosen us in him, Christ, before the foundation of the world. What a marvelous statement that is. That before the worlds were spewed out into existence, God determined this magnificent plan that he would save me. And if you're a child of God, that he would save you, redeeming me from the curse of my sin and saving me and forgiving me from all of my sin. That was his plan from beginning and before the beginning of all time. See, blessings comes from God because he has determined it before the foundation of the world. Sometimes we forget that before all these things existed, God is. I don't want to put God in the past tense. God is. And so we must realize what blessings these things are. We could live if all we had of the whole Bible was Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3 through 14. We could spend the rest of our lives just meditating upon that. That's all we ever had. We'd have the plan of salvation. We could see it there. We could see it by God, in Christ, 
by the mediation of the Holy Spirit. And we could see what our lives were, what our lives should be as we walk in him. Thus we see clearly the glory of the triune God in this wonderful passage of scripture. I mean, Paul goes on, and we won't delineate it, but in chapter 2 and verses 1 through 3, we see that the problem is not with man's view of God. The problem is with, or, or the problem is uh, with uh, man's view of God, but we need to come to realize that the issue here is that we have been depraved and we are, are sinful beings from our very conception, in conception, that we have God who must step into the gap and change us and save us and make us willing to do so. So simply put, verses 3 and 4 indicate that God, by his free choice, bestowed his blessings upon us on whomsoever he desires. Pastor and I were talking a little bit last night about just giving. And we said, you know, it's, it's just fun to give for no purpose and no reason, just to give something to somebody. And that's a real blessing to be able to do that. But we see that here in this passage of Scripture, that simply because of his good pleasure, verse number 5, that he did this according to his good pleasure of his will. Not because of anything in us, not because of any potential in us, but God in eternity past simply decided somehow, some way, I am going to bless that person with my grace and my mercy and forgiveness of sins in Christ Jesus as I execute my plan to do so. So those characteristics are simple here. He chose us before the foundation of the world, and he did that in Christ because God never again intended to bless anyone apart from Christ. He does that in Christ and Christ alone. And it is by his own good pleasure. But there's a reason for it and a purpose to all of this as well. In verse number four, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. It's not just that he would keep us from going to hell, but that he would make us like his son to be holy and blameless. And that's exactly what Paul says in Romans 8, 28, and then 29. We often focus on 28. But he had predestinated us to be what? Conformed to the image of his son. We are his sons, and being his sons, we are to be like the son holy and without blame. And that's the intention here. He says, I chose you, I saved you for this purpose, that you be holy. That is an evidence of his choosing, that God changes our lives, and our lives are progressively changing to be more like him, to be holy and to be blameless before him. You could go to 1 Peter, you can go to 100 passages and see that as well. And we're in 1 Peter, Peter is saying, says that in all manner of conversation, in every aspect of the behavior of your life, you should be holy. And then he gives the reason why, because I am holy. And here was the same intent. You are to be blameless, 
holy and blameless in him, in Christ. Why? Because Christ is holy. We're to be made like him. So the needed question for us is kind of simple, but difficult as well. So what is the difference between a professing believer and the rest of the world? It's an interesting question, because sometimes people talk to me, especially when I was pastor, and say, well, you know, that sounds pretty legalistic. And I, So my question comes back and says, so what is the difference between you and the rest of the world? Because there needs to be a difference in our lives if we are a child of God. It is not just only our position in Christ, but is that practical holiness, so not just the positional holiness, it is the practical holiness that bears out in our lives. It is the sanctificational work of God by the Holy Spirit in our lives. If God chose us out of the world for himself, which is the intent of that phrase there, for himself, does, that, that, does not that make a demand that there should be a difference in our lives to some degree. And it should be a progressive thing. Years ago, I heard somebody, I actually, I, I think I heard it in Costa Rica, for the Spanish church we were attending while we were going and learning Spanish in a school there, and that he was speaking uh, on the book of James, and one of the things that he said in Spanish, but translated into English, is the problem with the world is the church. And he said, because the problem of the church with the church is that the world is in the church. And that we are so much like the world. We need to be concerned about how we live because he says that in this verse of scripture, verse 4, as he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame. And then see the next phrase? It says, before him. Before him. I think there's an uh, uh, there's a aspect of this that we sometimes forget. We know theologically many things, but to bring it to practicality in our lives, we lose it somehow. We know that there is the omniscience of God as a theological term. We know the omnipresence of God theologically but do we really practically understand and think that that God particularly by the Holy Spirit is with us today always collectively as a body of believers but individually as the temple of the Holy Spirit and if that is true, and it is true because it is written in his word, then we need to be holy and without blame because we are always in his presence, always in the presence of God. So if I'm, in, if I'm a young person and I'm going to school, and I'm in a public school even, or I'm in a Christian school, I need to realize that I am in his presence all the time. If I am by myself someplace, I am in his presence all the time. I cannot get away from the presence of the eternal God. And because of that, that should be motivation out of love that I want to be holy and blameless before him because I am always in his presence. Before him, in his sight. 
Sometimes I don't think that we live in that conscious thought. You remember back in Genesis and and um, in Genesis, the story of Joseph, as we read that account, and Joseph is in Potiphar's house, and Potiphar's wife, as she was tempting him, and she begged him to come and to lie with him, and she grabbed hold of his cloak, and as he squirmed out of his cloak, and she was saying those words to him, his words back to her was, how can I do this and sin before God? Jesse, that's that constant presence and mindset of being before God. That is an interesting thing for us to consider. Well, then in verse number five, he says we've been predestinated to be the sons of God by adoption, to be adopted. As the, the whole idea of predestination there is that we are marked out in advance God has done that in our lives beforehand, and he worked all of those things out that we would come to know Christ and be the sons of God. You know, you think of some of these things. You think of being chosen. You think of being adopted. You think of being predestinated, all of these things. And if you really meditate upon it, it would almost be unbearable to consider them anymore. That a holy, righteous, sovereign God who is and is self-sufficient, needs no one, needs nothing. That that holy trinity of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, before there was anything made, was self-sufficient, self-satisfied, and needed nothing. And yet, to display his glory and his grace, he created all of this and then in the midst of all of that, that man and all of the human race sinned before him. And that relationship was broken. And then in his marvelous plan, he sent himself in the form of his son to die on the cross for those whom he created but rebelled against him. That those he would sacrifice himself for that he would reconcile them with himself and he would bring them back into that relationship and make them sons again. To make them his sons, to adopt him and to be heirs and co-heirs with Jesus Christ. To forgive them of their sin, to cleanse them from their unrighteousness, to purify their souls, to redeem them, all of these things would almost really be unbearable if we think about it. We can only speculate outside of some passages of what we see heaven is all about, but we can only speculate a little bit. But sometimes I wonder that when we leave this life and we stand before him on that first moment, that we will just kind of collapse like Isaiah, like Ezekiel, like John fall down on our faces and say, oh, now I see it all. Now I see it all. It's almost unbearable for us to do that. Isaiah said, John said, Ezekiel, all of us identified themselves as though we are dead men prostrate before God. What a marvelous thought, but what a terrifying thought. One day, 
I will bow before that holy, sovereign, righteous God and give an account of my life. All of this for what? The verse number six. That it was all done to the praise of the glory of his grace or to the praise of his glorious grace. His grace is marvelous and glorious for us to consider these things. All of these things he has blessed us with. Why? For his own glory, for his good pleasure of his own will, and that we might live in this life according to the praise of his glorious grace. Solely on his kindness solely because he wanted to not because there was one ounce of goodness in any of us so because of that we should say like paul does in verse number three and we haven't gone down through all these verses but we should go back to verse number three and we should leave today saying blessed be the god and the father of the lord jesus christ who has blessed me Make it personal. Who has blessed me with all these spiritual blessings? Because why? He is worthy of praise. He is worthy of honor. He is worthy of adoration. And then we could sing out to the praise of his glorious grace, to magnify the splendor of his majesty and his beauty and his glory glory and grace and goodness and kindness that is bestowed upon us. We'll be mindful of a quotation from Matthew Henry concerning some of this when he says, the reconciled and the adopted believer, the pardoned sinner, gives all praise of his salvation to his glorious father. Is that true for you this morning? These great hymns that we sang today, this great passage that we just skimmed the surface on, to be able to leave today and say, all glory, all grace, all mercy, all worthiness is due to the Father who we should bless and honor because he has given to us these blessings throughout this passage of scripture let's pray and thank the lord for those things and ask him to help us in those things as well father as we close this portion today we pray that you would help us to consider and maybe to go back and spend time reading this passage of scripture over and over perhaps this week and we'd be mindful and that we would bless your holy name for the spiritual blessings. We don't make light of the temporal blessings, but these spiritual blessings are forever and ever. The temporal blessings are great, but they will fall away in this life. But that which is for eternity, that you have chosen us, you have redeemed us, you have predestinated us, you have forgiven us you have cleansed us all of these things you've given us the third person 
of the Trinity to reside within us, that we might be holy and blameless. And so we would say, blessed be you, O God, for you are worthy of all of your glorious grace. We thank you in Christ's name, who is our only hope. Amen.